Okay, open your Bibles to the book of James. Book of James. We'll continue our study. We'll be in chapter 2 now in the book of James. Wonderful book. It's been a very profitable study going through this book. And today we'll be looking at uh, verses 8 to 13 in James chapter 2. And the name of the message is Offend in One Point, Guilty of All. Offend in One Point, Guilty of All. Now these verses before us are further explanation of the pure religion declared in the last verse in uh, chapter 1 which is summed up in the effects of the gospel that the gospel has on those who receive the gift of faith, those who are given the gift of faith by God, and, and we receive it as a gift, don't we? And we're taught as believers throughout the Scripture to love God and love your neighbor. This is taught for believers throughout the Scripture. And you know what happens when you do that? If we love God and we love our neighbor, do you know what happens in loving our neighbor? We don't treat them with partiality. Remember what we looked at last week? So if we love our neighbor as we should, we won't treat them with partiality. Isn't that amazing? It's so true. And why do we love our neighbors and love the Lord? Well, because the love of God is shed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit of God. And when we're born again, that's when that occurs. We don't have the love of God in our hearts naturally. No, we have an enmity with God in our natural state. But by the power and might of God, the Holy Spirit, when we're born again, now we have the love of God spread abroad in our hearts. And now we love things we once hated. Isn't that amazing? God's incredible, isn't he? He's absolutely incredible. And... The love for our neighbors is general and universal, and the love for our God is singular. Right? We, we love our great God. We don't love him as we should. And, and when we're supposed to love the Lord with all our heart, mind, and soul, there's only one person who did that. Right? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And think of this, beloved. He did that in our room place. Isn't that wonderful? But we still, as believers, we love God, don't we? We love God and we love our neighbors. And James is going to set this truth as a matter of law. Now, the use of the concept of the law does not refer to the old covenant as a rule of life, but rather it's employed in a strict sense. Law is an absolute and used here to say that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ produces works, right? Good works, though, which we will see were ordained for us by God. And we don't even know when we do those good works. Do you know that? Because if you look at the great white judgment throne and, and the Lord says, well, you've done it unto the least of my saints. And we don't even know that the saints say, when did we do these things? We have no idea, beloved. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? We can't boast in anything, can we? Can't boast in anything. But the 
faith that the Lord Jesus Christ gives us produces those works that we are appointed to do without partiality. Without partiality, which we'll see brought forth in verses... uh, Well, we see that brought forth in verses 1 to 7. My brethren, have not the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons... For if there come unto you your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man and vile remnant, that means filthy clothes too in the Greek, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place. Again, that's the back row for Baptists. And say to the poor, Stand there there on, or, or sit there under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves? And are become judges of evil thoughts. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of the world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not the rich man oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? With that in our minds now, let's read verses 8 to 13. Let's continue reading. If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are conceived or, and are convinced of the law as a transgressor. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also do not kill. And remember, the Lord spiritualized the law, right? He said, if you look on a, 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 for a man or a woman, if you look on a, a man or a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery with them. If you are angry with your brother, you've already killed them. So when the Lord spiritualized the law, we're all guilty, right? It shows us we're all guilty. But this, this verse 10 shows us where we're, we're look at verse 10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. And it goes on to say, Now if thou committed no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy, and hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoices against judgment. Now we as believers, we read these texts here before us, and we're immediately convicted, aren't we? My, oh my. Just verse 10. Verse 10. Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend at one point, he's guilty of all. My, oh my. This brings forth our failures constantly. We're lawbreakers, aren't we, by nature? We're lawbreakers by nature. We read verse 10 there, and it just, it, it slays us. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of all. Now here's a searching question. Who among us can truthfully say that we love God with all our hearts? Who among us can truthfully say that we love our neighbors as ourselves? And this brings us to the subject of the passage, having faith, having the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Looking to him and him alone. And that faith that we have is a gift from God, isn't it? Faith that we have is a gift from God. And, and it centers 
in the truth that Christ alone has made perfect obedience to the law of God in our place. He is the substitute. Do you see how important substitution is? It's so important. You got a bunch of people out there in religion trying to keep the law. But the scripture says if you offend in one point, you're guilty of it all. We just saw that, didn't we? See, that's why our faith is centered on the one who kept the law for us. Now, you preach like, like this, and some people try to call you antinomians. I'm not an antinomian. I don't believe we can go out and do whatever we want. I don't believe that. I don't know any grace preacher that has ever said that. But people say that. When you say, well, I'm not under the law. Christ fulfilled it for me. People immediately, now, is the law still there? Yes. Is the law holy? Yes. Yes. But I can't keep it. Can you? No. But our great substitute kept it for us, didn't he? Hallelujah. What a savior. (laughs) So I'm not under the law anymore. Because Christ is the end of the law for what? Righteousness. He's done it all for us. For, for me and for you as a believer in our place. And he did it 2,000 years ago. Isn't that wonderful? Now, we love the law of God, don't we? Absolutely. Because it comes from our king. But it shows us our inability. It's a schoolmaster and it brings us to Christ, doesn't it? It makes us flee to him. And to look to his perfect obedience so when we're born again by the Holy Spirit of God, we come under conviction with the, with the knowledge of our failures, with the knowledge of our sins, don't we? And this serves to cause us to do some things. First, it causes us to look away from our efforts. At obedience is evidence that we have faith. We don't... If we looked, if we looked at ourselves... To see evidence that we have faith, we'd all be despairing, wouldn't we? Right? Now, when it says make your election and calling sure, that's looking at yourself, but that's, am I trusting Christ? You see? There's a difference, isn't there? Am I trusting Christ? I don't put faith in my faith, right? We put faith in Christ, don't we? He's our king. He's our Savior. So we have to look away from ourselves and look to Christ. Turn, if you would, to the book of Titus. Titus. And, and thinking this way of causing us to look away from our efforts is obedience is evidence that we have faith. Look at this in Titus. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 7. But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. When did that happen? Well, Christ was manifested in the flesh, wasn't he? He was manifest to take away our sins. Not by works of what? Righteousness, which we have what? Done. Well, that's clear, isn't it? Right? But according to his mercy, he saved us. 
So what's that telling us right there? That's telling us that we cannot be saved by works of righteousness, which we supposedly done. Because all our righteousness is what? Like filthy rags in the eyes of the Lord, right? But according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration, born again of the Holy Spirit of God, and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified, remember, that's, that's um, rendered righteous. <laughs> I love that. Rendered righteous by his grace. We should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So what a hope we have in Christ. And the second thing it does is that when we look at the law, it drives us to Christ, doesn't it? It drives us to Christ, who alone obeyed God in all things. He alone obeyed God in all things. And he did it for us, and we know he did it for us because he was sinless. He didn't, you know, all he could do was good. All he could do was obey God, right? He's sinless. In his life and in his death, he's absolutely sinless. He was manifested to take away our sin. Well, God's law has to be satisfied, right? Absolutely. To the, to the letter. He done it all. <laughs> he done it all in our room and place. Listen to the words of the Master. Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets, I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. That's the words of the master. Well, who was he fulfilling that law for? Me. And if you're a believer, you. Isn't that wonderful? That's glorious, isn't it? Because for us to offend in one point of the law is to break it all. Well, we're lawbreakers, aren't we? But praise be to God, our substitute did it all for us. Oh, that's good news. That's good news. Christ fulfilled the law. He completed it. Christ fulfilled the law by his own personal unbroken obedience. And Christ fulfilled the law by his sufferings and his death. All as our substitute. All as our substitute. That's good news. And thirdly, we're not looked to our faith as the producer of our works, but rather the channel for works, because we are the branches, and he's the vine. Now, he uses means, doesn't he? God uses means. He uses means to, he uses a preacher to preach his word. He uses, he, his word goes out, gets posted out, and he uses it for his glory, and out it goes. And he's the one that gives the increase, isn't he? We can't give the increase, only he can. Isn't that marvelous? It's wonderful. Our master said, without me, you can do nothing. The Lord Jesus Christ said that to his apostles and to us too. As we read the scriptures, he says, without, you, without me, you can do absolutely nothing. That's humbling, isn't it? But it's true. Could we save ourselves? Nope. Can we keep ourselves? Nope. Can we make ourselves born again? Nope. Right? Can we make ourselves fit for glory? Nope. But can he make us all those things? Yep. And he did. It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. So, and the concept of the law here is not viewed as condemnation, but it's an absolute principle of freedom to do what is right 
even though we do it imperfectly. Now, the fact that we cannot obey the law perfectly does not release us from loving our neighbor, right? Or loving God. Because as believers, that'll come naturally for us. I remember Donnie saying one time, I don't have to, don't have to like my neighbor, but I've got to love him. <laughs> or something like that. He made some... Oh, he had me rolling when he said that. He, he was so funny. But no, we're, we're called to love our neighbors, aren't we? Sometimes that can be difficult if you've got, you got a hard neighbor to live beside, but that's okay. Oh, my. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians 2.10. I want to show you something here. Look at this. Th- this is an incredible verse, and it comes right after, for by grace are you saved through faith, and not, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. So, so the verses preceding this show us that salvation's all of God and that it's a gift of God. And then look at, look at people don't read Ephesians 2.10, and this is an absolute, well, they read it, but this is an absolute wonderful verse. Look at this. For we are his workmanship. Remember the potter and the clay? We're his workmanship. Remember God makes vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor? We're his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus, look at this, unto good works. What? Yeah. Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We're redeemed from death and sin to life and glory by the free grace of God, aren't we? Think of this, election, redemption, calling, effectual calling, repentance, faith, sanctification, and eventually eternal glory are all ours by the free and sovereign grace of God in Christ. And faith in Christ is the way, the means, or the instrument by which we receive and enjoy salvation. And this saving faith is not the product of man, but it's a gift of God. And we receive salvation by faith, don't we? All the glory goes to God. And therefore, any works of righteousness done by us are not ours. And that's what we see here in verse 10. Any works of righteousness which we do are not ours. But they're, they're all by the grace of God, which is brought forth very clearly there in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And ties into the works which James is bringing forth too. There, these works... These works don't save us, but they prove that we've been granted faith. They prove our faith. I ask you. I've asked you many times this before, but I'm going to ask you again. Think of this. Did you love God before he saved you? No, right? I didn't love God before he saved me. I had a God of my imagination who I, who I thought but he was nowhere near the God of the Bible. Now I love God. Even though my love is fickle, like everybody else is too, right? We all are. He's faithful, isn't he? He's faithful. But that love that I have in my heart for God, the true love for God, that proves our faith, doesn't it? Something's changed, isn't it? There was an operation done by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And now that love for God is shed abroad in our hearts, isn't it? Wasn't there before. (laughs) 
wasn't there before. So we see in verse 10 there of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul brought forth that we are saved by grace alone, through Christ alone. And then he brings these wonderful words. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That's the same stuff James is talking about, beloved. See, people, people take James and they, they say, well, it's such a legal book. No, it's not. We're finding out it's not a legal book, is it? It's a wonderful book. It's an absolute wonder. It's, it's all about freedom and liberty in Christ. It's wonderful. In Colossians 1.29, Paul wrote this, Where unto I also labor, striving according to his working, his working, God's working, which worketh in me mightily. That's the same thing that Paul's talking about. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. This is the same thing James is talking about too, beloved. God's grace is the cause, the source, and sustaining power in salvation and excludes any works, right, for salvation. As making any contribution in our justification, the spirit that lives in us is the spirit of what? Love, joy, faith, humility, truth, and our calling is a holy calling. And he works in us love, doesn't he? Joy, peace. It all comes from him, beloved. It's the Holy Spirit working in us. The love that we have for the brethren, right? And I mean true love. I don't mean fake love. The love that we truly have for the brethren, that's wrought by God. That's wrought by God, beloved. And our, our faith is, is grounded in the perfect law, absolute principle of liberty, which we saw in chapter 1, right? The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that perfect law is the gospel, the good news and glad tidings of what God has required and what the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. So believers, by the grace and mercy of God, are free to love God and to love their neighbor. We're set free. It's liberty, isn't it? <laughs> it's not something we, it, it, it's something we get to do. Hey, we didn't love God before, now we love him. And that's only by the power of God. We might not have loved our neighbors before, and sometimes it's tough to love them, isn't it? But now, what do we think, though? They're lost. Lord, please save them if it be your will. If it be your will, Lord. So James brings us to see in the royal law in verse 8, when he brings forth the fact that we are, that if we show partiality to a rich brother or a poor brother, which we looked at in verses 1 to 7, we commit sin. Look at verses uh, 8 and 9 of James chapter 2. If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced, or can, yeah, convinced of the law as transgressors. So the con then, then comes the convicting verse, that if we break the law in one point, we're guilty of it all. What does this do? This shows us our desperate need for Christ, doesn't it? 
This shows us our desperate need for Christ. Again, we're all lawbreakers in our natural state and in our flesh, even after we're born again, aren't we? Oh, my. But praise God, that's not counted against us, is it? <laughs> oh, hallelujah. We're sinners saved by grace. Look at verse 10 again. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. So let's consider verse 10 here a little bit more. Notice what's being brought forth in these words. James is bringing forth that a single breach of the law, a single breach of the law, a single law broken means we've Guilty of breaking all the law. A single offense committed against the law is a breach of all of it. And this fact is undeniable, right? It's right here before us. What does this bring forth? You know, this brings forth the utter depravity of man. That's exactly what this verse brings forth. The fact that all the world is guilty before God. That's what this verse brings forth. All the world guilty before God. There's only one human being who was born without sin. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we clearly see in this one verse that all have sinned and all come short of the glory of God like Paul wrote in, in Romans. And as a consequence of that, no flesh can be justified in his sight, right? In our natural state. In our natural state. How many times did we break the law? Oh, how many times do we break the law, God? Oh my gosh. Therefore, all the world are found guilty, whether they believe it or not. Everybody. This verse, this verse brings brings forth the utter guilt of sinners, all sinners before God. One breach. You know what one breach does? It shows a contempt for God. That's what one breach of the law shows, our, shows the contempt that we naturally have for God, for the lawgiver. And to break one of God's law, laws is to break them all. And the child of God knows, he, we, we know this. We know this after we're born again. Because we know the plagues of our own heart, don't we? Even after we're saved. And it is such only those who are born again that Christ becomes exceedingly precious. Because we see our guilt, don't we? We see, we see just how guilty we are. And so Christ becomes so precious to us, beloved. So precious to us. Because in him, in him, all our sins are forgiven. In him, there is therefore now no condemnation to them in Christ Jesus. None. So we see our, our utter guilt and how, how we're, we, in our natural state, we have no hope. And then, we see that Christ has done it all for us. He didn't, he didn't break one of God's laws, beloved, as our substitute. He said, I came to what? Fulfill the law, remember? For us. What a Savior. 
So we see that for us to, to, to break one of God's law, we're guilty of them all. But then we see in Christ, our great substitute, in his life and in his death, completely fulfilling the law of God in our place. And he was raised for our justification. He was raised for our justification. Isn't that wonderful? Absolutely wonderful. And now we have, through regeneration, through being born again by the Spirit of God and his mighty work, now we have a love for God. We have a love for Christ. We have a love for the gospel. We have a love for the Bible. We have a love for God's people. We have a love for our neighbors. (laughs) What a miracle! Oh my, it's all by the power of God. All by the power of God. And then James gives us an idea, or sets forth an example for us here about loving our neighbor. Loving our neighbor. And think upon this, love for your neighbor absolutely assures that you will not be partial to your neighbor. You won't be partial to them based upon their social status. Because love, as Brother Tim James brings forth, is the great equalizer. It's the great equalizer. Love never works ill to his neighbor. And since neighbor's in a generic term here, that not only involves the household of faith, but also all men, then partiality in reference to status is forbidden, which we looked at last week. However, James does not deal here deal with the universal aspect of love for your neighbor, but rather addresses it to respect of persons as it relates to the family of God, the church. And he brings that forth in verse 1, he says, brethren. Verse 5, he says, my brethren. He's writing to the beloved brethren of God. And James here speaks, James here speaks to all who profess faith in Christ Jesus. And he's not speaking of losing salvation, but rather he speaks to the fact that where partiality exists, faith in Christ is called into question, which we looked again at last week. The issue is not the loss of faith, but rather the existence of faith. He's leading us to the place that reveals true faith. And that faith works by love. Now, if someone says they love Christ and they hate the brethren, there's something wrong. There's something seriously wrong with her. There really is. Let's look at verses 11 to 13 now. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy, that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoices against judgment. Now faith cannot be proved by anything, but it can be disproved by many things. Loving our neighbor does not prove the existence of faith, but not loving our brother disproves the faith, as we looked at last week. Ephesians 2.10 again says that faith produces works which were ordained for us by God. 
And again, it's God working in us. You must always remember that. But we can't love our brethren without faith. See? Men may love without faith, but none can have faith without love. And this is truth is addressed in the latter part of this chapter. In the words of the passage which we are addressing this morning is a precursor to James' final words concerning this. So James is setting up a scenario for us of what it means to have faith in Christ. He's using the if-and-then method of teaching. If you have faith, then you'll love your brethren. If you have faith and show respect to persons, then at worst you have you, you have not faith, and at least your faith is suspect. So in light of these numerous examples are used all through the Scripture to show that faith works with love without any show of partiality. And we read in verses 1 to 7 that respect of persons relative to status denies the spiritual estate of all whom Christ died for. Because they're all chosen in Christ, aren't they? Rich or poor, and everybody in between. All believers. We're all poor, bankrupt sinners before God, no matter what our status is on this earth. We as believers are saved by the same blood, the same Savior, we were all chosen in Christ in eternity. And the law being addressed is the law of liberty here to show the absoluteness of it. James uses the law of Sinai to explain it in verses 10 and 11. And this is not bringing the believer back to the old covenant. It's merely used to show that the law is one to, to transgress the law in one one breach, you've, you've transgressed it all. So it shows us our guilt before God. To say you have faith, which is the perfect law of liberty, believing the perfect law of liberty, the gospel, and yet to have respect to persons is to be guilty of unbelief. And look at verse 12. So speak ye and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy, that has showed no mercy. And mercy rejoices against judgment. So the perfect law of liberty, the gospel, is the very expression of liberty. We're free. We're free. And think of this, if we show partiality or respect to persons, we're not showing mercy, are we? No. And faith doesn't operate that way. True God-given faith doesn't operate that way. Because it, lo- it works by love and mercy. And it's the absolute law of liberty we see in verse 13 to profess faith and show, to show mercy. We show mercy. We as, you know why we as God's people show mercy? Because we've been showing mercy by God. 
he's showing us much mercy. And we're free to do well toward our brother and sisters in Christ. And, and if we do evil as a result of having been shown mercy, then, then our faith is suspect, right? Here's the, the heart of it all. Trust Christ. Look to Christ in all matters. And look at your brothers and sisters as fellow family members, saved by the same blood, born again by the same Spirit. We all have the same Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's God the Father that chose us all in Christ. And that will take away any partiality that we have. To God be the glory.